Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Understanding the roles of different cells inside your body and how they stay on track. Now, your body is working very hard to keep you healthy and safe, even after a dangerous event like a heart attack. But sometimes things can get out of balance, whether it be through leukemia or the response of fibroblasts trying to overcompensate for the cardiac infraction that you've just had. This week we look at two ways of studying how your body looks after itself and how they can get out of tune. Now stem cells get talked about a lot and one of the main reasons are is that they're the foundation for every organ and tissue in your body. When you're born and when your cells grow and develop, they all start off as a stem cell or work created by something that was created by a stem cell and there's different types of stem cells and they all play a different role and do different things now stem cells have this unique property where they can develop into a certain type of organ or tissue or role to play inside the body and they can self-renew make copies of themselves or differentiate which means they can develop into a more specialized type of cell And there's a lot of different types of stem cells out there. There's embryonic stem cells. Now, these are the very first cells that you have in your body, and they lead rise to the development of much more specialized cells and ultimately you as a person. The same applies to stem cells in other creatures as well. Then there's tissue-specific stem cells, or often called somatic or adult stem cells. These are a bit more specialized than the very generic embryonic stem cells. And these tend to develop the types of cells required for the specific tissue or organ that they live in. So for example, blood forming or hemiotopic stem cells are found in the bone marrow and they can give rise to your red blood cells, your white blood cells and platelets. But you know, a blood forming stem cell can't generate liver or lung tissue. That makes sense because it's for forming blood. And remember those hemiotopic stem cells because we'll come back to those in a minute. There's also other types of stem cells uh, such as mesenchymal stem cells, called MLC. They're isolated from stroma, and they're basically stuff that is connected to tissues or organs. There's also another type, IPS, or induced pluripotent stem cells. And these ones have stem cells that have been engineered in the lab by converting tissue from, say, skin cells to behave like an embryonic stem cell, to turn into something that can then turn into any type of stem cell it wants to be. So the lab-grown stem cells that are often used in studies. Now, scientists are exploring what the differences between an IPS cell and another type of normal cell are, and that's kind of a main area of research as well. But stem cells are incredibly important tools for research. They're also incredibly important tools for your body's function, because that's how you grow, renew, and keep your organs functioning healthily also how you grow to become a person or animals grow to become animals and so on and so on now coming back to red blood cells and the stem cells used to generate all of your blood so think about your circulatory system and all the blood that exists in your body that all has to come from somewhere and generally actually it comes from stem cells located in your bone marrow these stem cells generate and control the production of blood and immune cells So all the different types of blood cells, red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets, which are also involved in your immune system, all of these are controlled by the stem cells that hang out in your bone marrow. And they serve an incredibly important role, so much so that when you get a disease that impacts the production or the balance of these blood cells, it can lead to all kinds of 
pretty devastating diseases. One of them you might be familiar with is leukemia. And so some researchers from the European Molecular Biological Laboratory, EMBL, and the German Cancer Research Center have been working together to try and unlock and understand the way that these stem cells that form inside your bone marrow actually grow, what kind of structure they have, and how they interact. And their results have been pretty outstanding, and they've just published them in the journal Nature Cell Biology. And what they've been looking at is to use computational methods as well as some pretty intense analysis of some different levels to actually figure out what exactly is happening inside these stem cells hanging out in your bone marrow, which they often call niche cells, and to try and understand the way in which they form, their composition, and how they work. And this work has been led by, and this paper of the lead author, Chara Bachin, as well as Jude Al-Saba. They work together on this study from different universities, along with a number of other collaborators from across these institutions. Now, they focused on a certain type of bone marrow, the murin bone marrow, that harbors blood stem cells. And these are the ones that are responsible for producing blood for your whole life. So this lifelong, not the initial embryonic stage, but for the rest of your life. Now, because of the ability of the stem cell to grow and sustain blood production, it's incredibly important to understand how that works and also helps us know how it goes wrong. We know how it goes wrong, we can lead to better treatments for cancers like leukemia. But the problem is, we didn't really have much information for how the different cells are organized within the bone marrow. We know that they hung out there, we know that they formed there and controlled there, but we didn't really know how they worked. And this is the so-called cellular composition. And it's not just like you imagine blood on a two-dimensional level when you see it in a petri dish under a microscope. It's actually incredibly complicated because these are all in a three-dimensional structure inside the bone marrow. And there's intercellular communication in the bone marrow. And there's tissue that so far has been so difficult to study because, yeah, it's inside the bone marrow. Trying to get to it to study it is incredibly difficult without damaging and destroying the thing in the process. So to understand how these cells can be found inside the bone marrow, where they're localized, how they interact and communicate with each other was incredibly difficult. So the researchers used single cell and spatial transcriptomics to try and get inside and look at what's going on there. And they chucked all this data they collected into some pretty interesting computational models. They also analyzed the RNA, ribonucleic acid, of individual bone marrow cells. By doing this structural slicing using different imaging techniques in three dimensions, as well as the detailed study using the deep sequencing of this RNA, they actually could establish and identify whole bunches of new types of cells that we didn't even know existed inside the bone marrow. They found 32 different types of cells which are responsible for the regulation and the production of all the types of blood cells in your body. Now what they established are that these rare niche cells, which were some of them previously unknown, never been seen before, were established in these really unusual environments and the bone marrow is one of them. Potentially there are more inside the body where they're able to monitor and produce new blood cells and immune cells, which is pretty interesting because it shows that inside the something like the bone marrow, it's possible for incredibly complex and interconnected systems of cells to develop to do incredibly critical jobs. So bones aren't just empty hollow masses that are there to do something. No, the bone marrow actually also plays host to a hiving working factory monitoring and producing the right blood cells that your body needs. And by having this 3D picture, 
They could also track and predict and monitor the cellular interactions and communications. If you know where all the cells are, you can see that who they can talk to and what they could be doing. In other words, opening up that black box of the bone marrow managing the red blood cells and white blood cells and platelet production to actually understand this production line does this, these people are involved or these cells are involved in this part of the process and so are these and this part of the process. That's incredibly useful data. Data that has been released as part of an open data project by the researchers. Now, this approach of using 3D slicing and analysis could be applied to any organ all the way down to the single cellular level, which is interesting because it means that when we think of a disease like leukemia or anemia, blood diseases, that they need to be studied in a lot of detail. But often we don't actually have the fuller detail of the inner workings of the organs or the cells or the complexes involved. And this process actually is a pretty cool one because it enables us to get a pretty detailed in-depth picture what was previously an unknown process. This is some great research from the German Cancer Research Center, along with collaborators from the European Molecular Biology Laboratory and the Heidelberg Institute for Stem Cell Technology. Published in the journal Nature Cell Biology. Now, heart attacks and heart failure are some of the leading causes of morbidity or death, especially in late life, mostly because people's hearts tend to be one of the hardest working organs in their body, and when they go, well, it's all over. There's not much we can do about it. And heart attacks can be a pretty nasty thing to happen, but they are survivable depending on the type of treatment and the severity of the actual, what they call a microcardial infraction. Now, when a microcardial infraction actually happens, the heart goes out of its way to try and help recover. And one of the things that it uses is it releases a whole bunch of what's called fibroblasts. These fibroblasts are activated after a heart attack and this helps the heart sort of repair itself. It preserves the structural integrity of the heart. There are problems with it too. If you have more and more fibroblasts trying to rebuild the tissue and you end up with almost a too strengthened tissue, what can actually cause as well is a buildup, effectively, excessing stiffness in a certain area such as the left ventricle which means that your heart can't pump as easily which decreased cardiac contraction mostly because now it's been repaired and patched up to try and fix the damage but that's led to making it more stiffer like being in a knee brace for example this can lead to you know obviously further issues with the hearts down the track so your body is long making sure that you sort of live through this dangerous incident by trying to repair itself but trying to study the aftermaths of a heart attack is incredibly difficult. Now, we have developed different ways to try and treat and help people recover from heart attacks. And this is called the field of uh, antifibrosis. And we want to see how this cardiac fibrosis sort of progresses, but we want to make sure it doesn't get to, a, obviously, an out-of-control level that leads to problems in the heart. So some new research published from the Technical University of Munich in the Journal of Nuclear Medicine, outlines a new way to use a new tracer marker labeled 68GA, which is an activated protein FAP inhibitor. But basically, 
what it does is enables them to trace the activated fibroblasts in the heart. So when the heart and the body releases these fibroblasts into the heart area and they get to work trying to strengthen the heart and toughen it up after a heart attack, well, they can be now traced using this special tracer. And to test this out, the study actually involved getting 20 rats, giving them a microcardial infraction by basically permanently modifying one section, the left anterior of their coronary artery. And they also had a control where they did the operation but didn't modify the artery. And then they started to monitor using the tracer, the 68GAFAPIO4, and track how these fibroblasts were released and then what they got up to after the heart attack. And they did it 1, 3, 6, 14, 23, and 30 days after the heart attack to track how the heart healed itself after this massive event. And what they found is that there was a real peak in the release and the co concentration and work of, of these fibroblasts at around the six day mark after the heart attack. And it decreased rapidly back to the background level by about two weeks later. Now, people have been developing, as I said before, these treatments for heart attacks to help bring the recovery for a long time. There's been little way to actually assess the effectiveness of these treatments because it's kind of hard to image something working deep inside the heart. There's not many ways of doing good diagnosis or actually trying to monitor because, well, funnily enough, the heart's just undergone a pretty traumatic thing. So we don't want to try and monitor it too much without causing further issues. So this is a good way to be actually able to track and trace the things that are working to keep your heart working stronger than before, but making sure they don't get out of hand. But this idea of this imaging is actually pretty useful as well for other illnesses that lead to the activation of fibroblasts. And this can happen in things like hypertension or even in some parts of cancer-related therapies like cardiotoxicity, liver cirrhosis, or even pulmonary fibrosis. All these kind of issues where the, the basically the organs can stiffen up or issues inside your circulation, this enables you to trace and monitor the work of these fibroblasts and make sure they're doing the right thing. So this is some great research published in the Journal of Nuclear Medicine, led by lead researcher Zoria Varitesh from TUM in Munich. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From understanding the role that certain stem cells play in regulating your blood, as well as understanding how your heart responds to a heart attack and getting better ways to monitor the insides of those cells. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.